This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. We're continuing our study for the people of God, or other people of God, I should say, and Lesson 11, Misconceptions of the Church. And as we mentioned in previous studies, the word church comes from the word ecclesia, which just means called out. And it's not exclusively a religious word, but uh, that is predominantly how it's used in the New Testament. So, And it's referring to a group of people, uh, it's not an event or um, a place per se or building or anything like this. So when we say church, what we should think of is people, those who have specifically obeyed the call of the gospel and have Christ as their one master and are submitting to him as their Lord and King. Uh, but that's not the popular conception. So there's a lot of denominational teaching that declares, for example, that the church is a visible hierarchical society that is made up of subjects and superiors. And those superiors within that society rightfully rule the subjects whom they deem are beneath them. And you might think, you know, no way. But that is, you know, I was actually quoting from a manual of a denomination when I was using that language. It was very deliberate. That's why I was talking in that weird way. Uh, but that is what they would say, uh, at least in their manual. I don't know if they'd articulate it quite that way in person, but it's uh, certainly written down. And so it seems like, at least to me, that the early apostates within the Lord's Church adopted the old Judaistic concept of priesthood, right? We can see that in the law of Moses where there was high priest, you know, descended from Aaron specifically and his family. And then there was the priesthood made up of Levites. And that was, you know, everybody else within that specific family or tribe, not necessarily descended from, from Aaron. And so you did have this kind, kind of hierarchy and you had uh, specific roles and positions that were designated for only uh, certain people. And there was some authority attached to that and privilege attached to that. And I think some of that carried over into this kind of reworking and restructuring of uh, the church and, and and how many conceive of the church despite Jesus' teaching, <clears throat> which we'll get into in just a moment. And so when we see, you know, shepherds, overseers, elders um, standing between, you know, the quote laity or the, you know, the layman. And, and God, that is uh, not a biblical, not a New Testament uh, approach. It's not how it, it presents the church. And let me continue this quote. Uh, it goes, uh, the so this is from the uh, Catechism, uh, if I'm not mistaken. The Roman pontiff and the bishops under him are the ruling hierarchy of the church. And this hierarchical society is seen as having the power and authority not only to teach Christ's doctrines, but also to administer his sacraments. And so they would argue they can channel basically divine grace. They are, you know, handed out, um, for lack of better terminology, in sacraments. And, you know, these sacraments are according to the Roman catechism, at least, baptism, confession, uh, you know, so for forgiving sins and the Holy Eucharist, confirmation, holy orders, uh, which has to do with the priesthood and conferring power in the priesthood, matrimony, uh, and extreme unction. And uh, like I said, that's from the Catechism um, with notes from John O'Brien. And uh, 
when we think about, you know, again, the language and the expressions that are being used there, power and authority, uh, conference of blessings, conference of grace, uh, kind of wrapped up in, wrapped up in, in teaching others. This is an institutional concept of, of church whereby it is the institution or certain a certain party or group within the institution validates and administers, uh, you know, whatever they name, baptism, marriage, uh, grace. And so there's an authority that is assumed by these folks within the church, and the church is, is, is seen as following that hierarchy uh, and being structured uh, by however the administrators say it's going to be structured. And again, I'm not just uh, making this up. You can read it for yourself. They minister validly, confers the sacraments that's necessary. First, that he has the power of administering them. Second, that he have jurisdiction for those sacraments which require it. Third, that he perform all the essential ceremonies. Fourth, that he have the intention of at least doing what the church does, that is, of performing the sacred ceremony that is usually among uh, Catholics. Uh, and again, that's their literature. I'll leave further investigation to you. And so that I'm just I'm not picking on one particular ch- church. I'm just singling it as a convenient example. So, but there's other there's other examples. Catholicism is just a prime example of institutionalism and an institutional concept of of the church that accepts this kind of uh, you know hierarchical structure uh, that again is foreign to the New Testament. And this is what led to. A revolt as people became more literate, and you have the printing press, and you know you dig into some history, and you can see scripture becomes more accessible. And the early Protestants, among them, there was this emphasis upon a priesthood of believers. Well, where do they get this idea? Well, it's in the New Testament, First Peter chapter two, verses five through nine, uh, and in Jesus's own teaching that that the lords, the rulers of the Gentile, love to lord it over them, uh, but it will not be. So among you, you have one teacher, you have one Lord, you have one master, and you are all brothers, Jesus says. So everybody's on the same plane in the kingdom of Christ, except for him. He is, he's the king. Everybody else is subordinate to him. All right, so he didn't establish this kind of hierarchy. Well, some will say, well, what about the apostles and what about elders and so on and, and so forth? And you find those functions and roles mentioned within the the New Testament, to be sure, but they did not have the power to legislate. Um, they were just stewards of what was given to them, and they were to reveal what was given to them. So their, what they did reveal as, as law and the law of Christ, it didn't originate with them. And there would be some contention about that with uh, someone who would believe in like apostolic succession or something like this. They would you know, take Jesus' words in, in Matthew 16 and... Uh, try to, uh, from that text, establish some sort of authority inherent inherent with um, Peter himself or other other apostles, but that would be another study in and of itself. But going back to that history uh, with regard to the early Protestants, there was an emphasis again on that priesthood of believers and efforts to break with this institutional concept of the church. Um, but in breaking with it, other Institutional concepts grew and denominations grew, and then the same political kind of rule uh, creeped back in and was deemed necessary. And you have these clergy lady distinctions um, and, and, and an idea of, quote, church authority that are, that's being asserted instead of uh, simply Christ's 
of authority and biblical authority. Uh, you you end up with a, this creed bound kind of partisanship among different churches, and that just you know feeds the problem. It just contributes to the concept, and it is by and large again the the big one out there, the big idea that you know the church is just made up of a lot of other churches, and they each have their own creeds and ideas. Um, but even amongst those. There was once stretched this idea of independence and autonomy of the local church and, and a longing to be free from institutional concepts. And many just can't seem to believe and really believe that each local church should, can and should appoint its own overseers, as is described in the Bible in 1 Timothy 3. And those overseers rule in the capacity that God has uh, appointed them to be uh, stewards uh, not to legislate, but to be shepherds is the word that's used in the New Testament, or pastors, and and they they rule only in the matters of judgment that have been left to man. Uh, they can't legislate for God, and also number two that many people can't seem to believe that each Christian is a priest and each Christian is a saint. Right, that's how they're referred to in in the New Testament, and. Each Christian has to answer to God individually for his worship and service. A final judgment is on an is on an individual basis, not a church basis. Second Second Corinthians rather five and verse ten. Matters of faith are are determined by Jesus Christ. He is the final judge. Judge John twelve um, verses um, forty eight and following. The word that he spoke is what will judge us at the last day. But sadly, the, the anti-biblical view pervades and prevails still, and and many view the church as established by God for the salvation of souls, while the scriptures teach that the church is really the, the product of salvation in Christ, and that the church as a party does not save, rather it is, it is the saved. Just look at Acts chapter 2 and you'll, you'll see that. And, and verse 37 and following, that as people obeyed the gospel, it was the Lord who then added them to the church, right? So they were members of his church by virtue of their uh, submission to him. You know, if I were to illustrate how some folks think of the church, um, it's like they believe God established, again, this saving institution or this saving party and you can picture it as a little red wagon. And people climb in the little red wagon and they can be transported to heaven just because they're they're in the red wagon. But we look at history and we can see that there was drastic changes that occurred throughout the years. There was a a system of grouped local churches and then and parishes and dioceses and things like this formed in this kind of big organizational structure that led to sacerdotalism and those kind of conference of blessings that we talked about earlier through specific individuals who were appointed by other individuals to have this authority. And you have this clergy lady distinction, and then there's changes in doctrine. And so the little red wagon begins to break down. It's not, it's not what it was. And then finally it's just so corrupted. It, it can't take souls home to glory anymore. And then the reformers come along like Zwingli and Luther and and Calvin, and they're trying to fix the little red wagon. But in doing and trying to fix it, they add their own unauthorized parts. 
and they come up with their own clergy and laity systems and, and and their own institutional concepts of the church. You know, they're trying to work on the bed and unbend the wheels and axles, and they bent the tongue and in in place and put the wheels on backwards, and they ended up with a wagon going in in so many different ways. And then and then some folks believe that. Alexander Campbell came along and John Raccoon Smith and Thomas Campbell and you know you pick just pick your favorite preacher and they come to this you know they come to restore the church and they fix the red wagon altogether and they take out you know take out all the unauthorized pieces of equipment and they stop making these non-biblical distinctions unbiblical distinctions and they're they're going with just just the um uh, pure unadulterated truth and so now you have this red wagon that's uh perfect again and they've it's painted right and we're going to call it the church of christ and now people can again just hop in and souls can be taken home to glory and i i hope that nobody really believes that i you know despite the fact that I, we know that they they do and we can you know we read earlier in our study that that's exactly what a lot of folks have described but it's not a that's that's still a party based concept of salvation and, and fellowship with with God. You know, we, we can appreciate preaching that goes back to the Bible, but that's a far cry from saying that the continuation of some earlier institution is the key to Christ, which is the, the call that we often hear. Right? We just need to get back to doing things the way the New Testament church did them and i can understand what people mean when they say that uh, but again that's looking i think ultimately to, to the wrong source right we want to understand for ourselves and conclude for ourselves what the bible is saying right what god is revealing through his word it's it's the word that is the seed of the kingdom luke 8 and verse 11 it's by the power and authority of christ that the word went forth from jerusalem in acts chapter 2 and continues to go forth today. And it's the word that is to be received and obeyed. Not not the church. Not the institution. Any individual recipient can worship and serve God acceptably. But it must be on the basis of his own conviction or her own conviction and what the word of God teaches. Not because they are convinced that one particular party has all the answers. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that's what many religious people and professing Christians believe that I'm saved by association. If I go to the right building that has the right sign with the right name on it, that checks all the boxes that I have in my head for what a, a sound church should be, then, uh, then then it must be okay, and then I'll be okay because I attend there regularly. But that's not. That's not the picture of New Testament faithfulness. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, you know, any other command that he gives, they're not church ordinances. They don't depend upon the church for their validity or their authority. You know, suppose a copy of the Bible should wash ashore on some faraway island, and the inhabitants could translate its message of the salvation of Christ. And there was no church that had ever been there before. But they could accept and obey the Lord and thereby become members of his body, be members of his church. 
and worship him acceptably. And as others in the same place came to believe the word and learn the word, they could and should work and worship together and that they would form a local church. But it's the word, it's the word of God that validates their baptism, their worship, not some supposed church authority. So churches that believe the apostolic office continues today face a number of problems. I mentioned this earlier that there will be some contention about a continuing hierarchy and some would point to this kind of apostolic type of succession wherein you know you have men not directly descended from Peter but who kind of step into his shoes as kind of like this ruler of the church even though he himself um, decried that kind of uh, adulation. Um, and maybe some look to like the appointment of Matthias in, in Acts chapter 1. But the appointment of Matthias was to fill the place of Judas. And there were specific qualifications that he had to meet that were demanded of Matthias that no man can have today. Um, all, all the apostles met those specific qualifications. To be one of the twelve meant that those individuals had to have accompanied um, Jesus and and the original 12, all, all the time that the Lord went in and out among us is the phrasing that's used in Acts one twenty one and 22. Beginning from the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up from us is what they say. And that he must be inspired to know all truth, John sixteen twelve through 13, and confirm the word with accompanying signs, as Jesus said his true apostles would in Mark sixteen twenty and Hebrews 2, 4. An apostle just means one sent or messenger. Um, like angel just means messenger and it can have an ordinary usage but when applied to the men um, designated by Jesus for specific tasks who introduced the gospel on Pentecost it has very strict requirements and so Paul you know he was especially sent to the Gentiles he says I'm, a, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles I magnify my office and he was given visions and special revelations and told specifically where to go in the world and uh, and no one can make that same claim today so there's no apostles today in the new testament since certainly the people can say that we've been sent out just like all disciples have been but not in the special way that those early apostles were um and to contend that there are men today who can add to or change doctrines or that there's a ruling hierarchy or something like this, it's it's absurd because that didn't exist even in the first century, and that's not what apostles did in the first century. And so today, you know, if today's message is is truly of God, it will not contradict, you know, if you know, these people who are claiming to tell you the truth, their message is not going to contradict it shouldn't contradict the early earlier revelations of the Bible. Because Paul says of himself in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and following, he says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should come to you and preach a gospel that's contrary to what we already preach to you, let him be accursed. And so Paul, you know, that's Paul is saying if there's any passage that's, uh, that communicates how Paul understood just how final the message was that was revealed through him, that, that would be it, right? Because he says, Even if I've come back and I say something different than what I did before, I'm so confident. That what was I, what I gave you before was inspired from God, that I should be accursed if I say something different, apostle or not. Right, the, the original message was from was from God, and you know the latter day revelations would indicate that the first revelation was incomplete. But again, 
that goes against what we find in Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the Scripture we have will make us complete and adequate for every good work. And New Testament revelation prepares us for those good works. And so every now and then some endeavor to sustain their position by claiming, you know, there's like this great middle section of the church that can't be can't be wrong. But this ignores the Bible standard and a long history of majorities that have been in error. God doesn't chart people by their numbers, and a majority opinion does not make one right. You know, Paul wrote the Corinthians saying, We do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with ourselves or those who commend themselves by measuring themselves by themselves show that they are without understanding. And then Paul says, He has a sphere which God appointed to him, a sphere which especially includes you in verse 14. And so when in popular parties and, and think tanks or institutions begin to think of themselves as kind of like these policemen for the church uh, and that they are in some sort of special position to make that call and their beliefs become basically tantamount to a creed. They might not ever, not ever call it that, but this is how these kind of hierarchical ex- Structures get started within the church. It's very difficult for people just to humble themselves before God and stop trying to adapt His Word and just believe it on faith. Just reason through it for yourself, and you know, let let someone help you to be sure. But you you have to think for yourself, and your convictions and your belief beliefs must be your own. Even if someone else is help, helping you, your confidence can't be in their understanding. Right? You you have to understand for yourself, just like the Ethiopian did in Acts chapter 8. He wanted someone to help him understand Isaiah that he was reading, Isaiah 53. And Philip was the man to do that, and God instructed him to do so. But Philip still told that man, you, you have to believe with all your heart. Then you can be baptized. And of course, the Ethiopian said he, he did. His convictions were his own. So local churches should be formed by people who are truly converted, the people of God, drawn together by their common interest in serving the Lord. And if they are only converted to, quote, the church, then the church is going to let them down. Human parties always let people down. Eventually you're going to see the faults even of the local church. You're going to see how the local church is subject to error and it's made up of people who get confused and who grow divisive and maybe get proud. And instead of working for a Bible solution, they're going to look to the church for answers and the church is just its going to let you down and you're going to become part of the problem. But where members are truly converted to Christ, they work and worship in harmony and each one is striving to do what the word of Christ teaches for himself. And there may be some differences in understanding with regard to to God's word. That's going to happen. But they're going to be worked out only by greater and deeper study of God's word. With each individual's allegiance being to Christ. Not to self, not to party, not to local church, not to creed or anything else. And for some people that's just too idealistic. But it's biblical. 
people of God are seeking to measure up to a divine standard and not anything else. It is in such God-ordained striving that they qualify as people of God. Can each of us honestly say that that applies to us and that we're diligently striving to fulfill that very thing, sacrificing ourselves to Christ and naming him and him alone as king and trying to be part of the team, working with other saints and meeting with them to worship. Never should one of God's people act contrary to a good conscience established by the knowledge of God's word. It's a misconception that faithfulness to the local church or to the team can take the place of wholehearted submission to Christ. Don't make that mistake. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.